right, welcome to a special Left is Dead video and audio episode. Um, this is kind of different. Uh, this is a bonus. I'm just talking about something that I like today, which is a film series I've uh, become a fan of. I watch a lot of a lot of low budget horror on Amazon, and I just kind of let them wash over me. But one has stuck out to me as I've watched basically thousands of these things, and there's this franchise called Bad Ben. And uh, I'm here today talking with the creator, producer, director, writer, star of the Bad Ben franchise, uh, Nigel Bach. How are you doing, Nigel? What a resume. I want to meet that guy. <laughs> uh, good. How are you? Thanks for asking me on, Jim. You're the, the, you know, if you get a couple more movies, you know, you're the equivalent of George Lucas of found footage, basically. So well, I will tell you, it's gotten you mentioned Amazon and how you find films. It's gotten difficult lately with Amazon um, so to get these films on. But I'm sure we'll get to that at some point. Yeah, I do want to talk about that in the end, too, in a little uh, incident you had in the Amazon review section I read about. <laughs> OK, I, I, I think my audience will find interesting. But I guess to start out, um, I don't know, you want to just give some background on yourself, you know, prior to Bad Ben, you're from New Jersey. Um, born and know, raised in New Born and raised in New Jersey. And in fact, the a lot of comments I've received is that I have a Philadelphia accent, which I don't even know what a Philadelphia accent is. But yes, I was born and raised here. And this is only the second house I've ever lived in. Uh, and before this, if we go way back after high school, I joined the Air National Guard and I served in there for about 20 years. And um, I also, for video production wise and how this all got started, I used to do, I started a, a video production business. I did weddings and stuff, but I also, a big part of my business was small market television commercials. And by that, I'll use the example of a pizza place. We didn't do commercials for Pizza Hut, but we would do commercials for Joe's Pizza down the street right. that would get inserted on local cable. And it was really affordable for people to do, but none of them really had a big enough budget to, to keep me afloat. Um, this idea for the film, people used to say to me, because I was a screenwriter, I still am a screenwriter. Yeah, and yeah. actually, can you go into that a little bit too? Because you, you have some scripts on your site and I see that you have some scripts available on Amazon is Kindle in Kindle format. Um, you know, what kind of, what were you doing before we go to Bad Ben and what were you kind of writing or what were you aiming to like go into? Well, I wrote, uh, one of the things I wrote, my favorite of all stories was the Genesis experiment. And in a nutshell, I'll give you a Cliff Notes version of that. It's a story about um, a priest who has an identical twin brother who's an atheist and a, a local family's son dies two days prior to coming home from Iraq. They get a package in the mail from him. When the priest comes to visit the family, the father takes them in the shed and he shows them the package. And it's in the package is a statue, a stone statue of Christ that's bleeding from the wounds and around the head and the, the hole in the side. And he says, wipe it off. So the priest does and the blood droplets reform. So he says, have you ever seen anything like that in your life? And he said, no, but I can take it and have it looked at. And he said, good, because I don't want my wife seeing it. It would be too upsetting. Two days before the son, well, a week before the son was scheduled to come home, he mailed that home because he knew he wouldn't be able to get it through customs. So anyway, to jump forward, he takes a sample of the blood and gives it to his atheist brother, who also happens to be a geneticist, and asks him to test it. And when he does, he gets back to him and says, this is the most pure specimen of blood I've ever seen. It doesn't have a blood type. There are no signs of modern day pollutants. Mm -hmm. So this person either lived in a cave for 2000 years or came from another planet. Where'd you get it? And he wouldn't tell him. So he says, I'll tell you eventually, but I can't. So along the way, some mystical stuff happens and the priest contacts his brother and says to him, 
what did you do with that specimen? He said, what do you mean? He says, I told you to get rid of it. What did you do? And he said, you don't understand. He said, this is the most unique specimen I ever saw. So anyway, what he did was he used it in something called the Genesis experiment, which was an illegal cloning experiment. So he created a clone from this blood that he didn't know was from a bleeding statue of Christ. And the question becomes through the story is, has he cloned Christ or not? So that's one of my favorite screenplays that I would like to see done um, one day. There's yeah, other I read ones. The description of that one. It sounded cool. <laughs> yeah, I actually started a um, graphic novel on that. I only did one episode of it, but that's something I'm going to get back to when my world calms down a little bit because my world is a little bit crazy right now. And that's just one of, uh, I would say I have five complete screenplays, everything from some television series to mostly feature films but it was nearly impossible to get anything picked up, no matter what I tried. There are services out there that allow you to pitch to executives of different companies. It's called Stage 32 is one of them. The other one is Happy Writers and you can sign up and for a fee, and it's a reasonable fee, like 30, 35 hours. And you might get a chance to pitch your story idea to somebody from, you know, United Artists or from Creative Artist Agency. So it really is an opportunity to put you in front of some people, but even that was difficult. So people used to say to me, yo, Nigel, you got these cameras, you've got these screenplays, why don't you make your own film? And what they don't understand is just because you have a camera doesn't mean you can make Avatar because let's face it, they're using yeah. in motion pictures, they're using million dollar cameras and I have a $2,000 camera from B&H Photo. So it wasn't something oh, yeah, I could yeah. do, but I, I understand knew- completely that it's when you start AV equipment, the budget just skyrockets right away, you know, and it's even for something simple, even something as simple as a webcam, you know, the price goes nuts. But I knew I could- want do a film that was supposed to look lower in quality, like it was supposed to look like it was shot on a regular camera or security cameras. So I kind of reverse engineered a film. I took, uh, I knew what I had and a friend one time said to me, and since he said this, I've heard this repeated multiple times, when the only tool you have is a hammer, you tend to treat everything like a nail. So my hammer was these, low you know these not low quality but these average quality cameras so what could i do with them well i happened to have spent a decade up until 2013 taking care of my elderly mother and i had put security cameras up in the home so that i could watch her when i was out and uh it became you know i would could see her with the home health aides here caring for, I could just make sure everything was okay. Even though I worked out of the home, there'd be times when I'd have to go out and I could always check in on her and see how she's doing. So yeah, it's at night- a big house. It's covered by a lot of cameras. It's, it's it, There's quite a big system when you watch these films. Yeah, it's too big, but it's a little bit of, there's a little bit of, of I fool you a little bit in it because- <laughs> The security cameras I have won't even be won't be high enough quality for this. So what I did was I used a GoPro on a stand to film it. Uh-huh. Now, when I had these cameras installed and I would look at my phone to say, oh, everybody can now get these cameras, their ring, their whatever. But yeah. I would sometimes at night after I put my mother to bed, I'd look at the cameras around the house and I would say to myself, wouldn't it be scary as shit? if something walked across that room right now. So that was the base. That was the idea put in my mind way back then. And she passed peacefully in 2013. And this idea came to me to do this found footage type film in um, 2016. Because like I said, why couldn't shoot a major motion picture? I could shoot something that looked like paranormal activity or Blair Witch Project. So that's where the idea for this was born and how it started. But it wasn't meant to be me in the first film. 
I had originally had a cast of six people. I hired them um, from Mandy.com actors that I never met. And mm-hmm. what's funny is I used to resent when I would see someone post that they're making a film, but it doesn't pay. Well, people that work for me get paid. It's It might not be a fortune. They're not going to go buy a yacht, but they get paid. Right. So these people were all scheduled to get paid and come down. And one by one, as the shoot date in May of 2016 approached, they dropped out until I had just the female lead left. The premise of the story was she was going to be alone in the family home because her parents were away on vacation. And she was going to invite over her boyfriend and two other couples. And one by one, they got picked off by something. And, you know, basic, it's a story Mm -hmm. that's been done before. Right. And it was going to be caught on these security cameras. Well, the Wednesday before we were supposed to start shooting, I'm driving home in the pouring rain down Steelmanville Road. And I get a text. I look at the phone and it's this remaining actor. And she says, moving to LA, can't be in your film. Sorry, good luck. And I'm like, shit. So I throw the phone down the passenger seat. And I'm driving and then I just scoop it up and I start filming myself. And I say, here I am on the way home from the house I bought at a sheriff's sale. And I pull in the driveway, flip the camera around, say, not bad for a sheriff's sale. Well, that was done in one take. And that's the opening to Bad Ben, me coming home to my house, (laughs) pretending it's a house I got at a sheriff's sale. So then I had to think, well, who's going to want to watch a bald, fat, 50-year-old guy running around his house, getting the crap kicked out of him by demons and ghosts for 90 minutes? Well, what I did was I spent the next month, and the beauty of being the only person in a film and shooting it in your own home, you could shoot whenever you want. So sometimes I'd shoot at 9 o'clock at night, other times 2 in the morning, uh, I just wake up with an idea and I'd shoot it. There really wasn't a script and I just went through. I, actually, that's not true. I shot the opening scene and then I shot the ending where I get pulled down the steps. Mm-hmm. And that was my best friend pulled me down, almost took my head off, but pulled me down the steps. And uh, then I made point A meet point B by filling everything in. So at the end of a month, I had a film. And somebody I know that's in the industry, and when you say that, one thing that most people that are trying to break into the industry, whether it's an actor or a writer or a cinematographer, nobody will help you. Almost nobody. So despite the fact that I knew somebody that's very big in the industry, they'd give you advice, but they wouldn't give you any like help getting it anywhere. But he did give me good advice. And the advice he gave me was there was this film festival in October. And I want to say it's Fear Fest. I hate if I'm saying the wrong one. But he said that's where Paranormal Activity was bought. He said that studios come in with fat checkbooks and they'll buy films. So I submitted that on June the 12th. And there's a reason why I'm so specific about the date. June the 12th of 2016, I submitted the film and and paid the fee. And according to their instructions, you would find out by September 30th whether your film's been accepted or not. And the film festival was uh, the last week of October near Halloween. So, you know, the problem with that is you got to buy plane tickets and stuff like that to get ready. But anyway, I, I was hoping that was a problem I was going to have. Well, September 30th at 4 p.m. in the afternoon, I get an email from them that thanks me for my submission, but they're not interested in it. And what they didn't know was that Google Analytics, to, to get your film to them to see, you had to upload it to YouTube, a, an unlisted link and send them the link and they'd watch it. Well, Google Analytics is very specific about the information you can draw from it. And I saw that they watched the film on June the 12th, the day I submitted it, and they watched it for 12 minutes. So I know they didn't watch the whole film. So I wrote back, I said, you know, I'm a big boy. 
I understand my film might not be what you're looking for, but I did pay my fee. And the least you could have done was watch it. Oh, we watched it. I said, bullshit. You didn't watch it. But anyway, that's so now it's the end of September. And I knew that Amazon had this program called Amazon Video Direct at the time. So I uploaded it to that. And two days later, boom, there it was when I'm looking through Amazon. It was a very exciting moment to see my film up there on Amazon. And I expected through the course of its run, it was going to maybe, maybe I'd make $1,000 if I was lucky over the course of it. And, and right. I realized this is a film that cost me $300 to make. And I'm watching the minutes and they're going up and up and up. And it was, uh, I was stunned at, nobody was more shocked than I was. Films been watched at this point now, five years later, um, it's been watched over a hundred million minutes, that first film. Wow. So. Yeah. I, and yeah, that's, let's talk about that, why it's such a surprising success. Um, what do you think contributed to it? And I guess what I think a big part of it is, is your character of Tom Riley. But do you think that, what elements do you think made it so suddenly endearing to the, the people who really love these movies? Well, if I draw from the comments the fans have given me over the years, they refer to Tom as an everyman. And also he's, um, I compare him to Michael Scott from The Office. He's a guy that thinks he's smarter than he actually is. And when I first made this film, I thought, and I truly was making, attempting to make a horror film. And as I started reading the comments, as they were coming in, people found it scary, but they found it funny. They found my reactions funny. They found... They they found the reactions of Tom, I should say, funny nice. and his character funny. Just stuff like from being in a tug of war with the chair and saying, stop it, like so nonchalantly. And the various things I'd say is they went along. People just found that hysterical. And I should have learned from that because when you're ready and I get into the second film, you'll learn what I learned. Uh, yeah, we'll talk more about some of the practical effects in the later films that I love too. But yeah, the in the effects in these films, a lot of the practical effects are, and like you said, your react your characters' reactions to them are what make it amazing. It is just, I I think one thought I had was like, well, this is like every like friend's dad I had in middle school told me you can't come over anymore. You know what I mean? And I'm like, oh okay, this guy rules as like a a horror protagonist because this is. Like you said, it is an everyman feeling. It's so cool. It's cool to see. You know, it's not something you normally see in a horror movie. Even a lot of like low budget ones, you know, it's always you know, attempting. It's like they're trying to overshoot their ambition with their acting or something like that sometimes and stuff. But yeah, um, go ahead. I mean, Bad Ben originally, you know, it's the first three films are considered the sort of trilogy. So what happened with the second one, which was uh, Steelmanville Road, right? Well, after people found my horror to be funny, and they were also left with questions like, why was there a phone next to the front door? What are all the cameras and all that? So I decided to create a prequel. And in this one, uh, I got an actual cast together who was talented. And this was all before Tom Riley came on the scene. And it was darker, it was serious, right. and the fans hated it. Now, it has found its own audience because it's basically a standalone movie, but they wanted the buffoon Tom Riley. Because I even, because I appear in the last 90 seconds of the film because it's mm -hmm. a prequel and I show up and I'm looking through the windows because I'm going to buy the house. And, uh, they, they wanted him, and some people even commented. I love the last 90 seconds, which was kind of harsh, but right. they, uh, I tried to go serious, and they didn't like it. They wanted me back in it. So that, so to hop, if, you, if I may hop to the third film, what I actually yeah. did was I embraced the fact that they wanted, they liked the funny and the buffoonery, and I, actually a fan, when I was saying I'm trying to think of a name for it, 
one of the fans in one of my live chats said, what about Badder Ben, which I thought was hysterical. And that's how Badder Ben was born with a, with another cast. And those were, um, one of those guys was my screenwriting instructor. And the, the couple in that, Jackie and Schmitty, are actually sketch comedians out of Philadelphia. And that film, and the premise of that film is that they, it turns out I'm not dead, mm-hmm. although it appeared at the end of Bad Ben, I was. And it, there's an explanation in the beginning. And they want to bring me back, they're paranormal investigators that want to bring me back to the house and do a story. And the only reason I agree to come back is because they're paying me. Because Tom's recurring theme is money. Yeah. In Steelmanville yeah. Road, he poured all his money into, he thought he was getting a great deal. The house was way undervalued, but he didn't know the house was haunted. Um, and that's one of the things about a film when you're the only person in it. You have to move the story along with what you say out loud, and you can't sound ridiculous saying stuff out loud that you wouldn't normally say. So there's a phone conversation with the bank in the first movie where I'm being told that, you know, it's buyer beware, caveat emptor. So Mm -hmm. I thought I was getting this great deal in a house, not knowing there was a murder there. And so in the third one, the only reason I agreed to come back was again, because I lost everything when I lost this house. Yeah. Yeah, like you said, that's a recurring theme. I, I thought Steelmanville Road was interesting just because um, the first film had so many, like, objects that it focused around, whether it was, like, crosses Tom took off the wall or music, the music box or things like that, you know. And it was interesting, you know, I thought it was, it fit is like, okay, well, this explains all these things that this guy was throwing in trash cans in the first film. I got a lot know? of crap over that. <laughs> I, I enjoyed it for that reason, but yeah, uh, Badder Ben, I think that's where um, a turn kind of starts, but you say, you know, there is the recurring theme of Tom being broke, although the man is always confident, even when living in a tent, you know, he is, he's still gung-ho, but, uh, and pissed, but um, I think it starts to take this turn as like Tom suddenly becomes this unwilling, like, paranormal investigator, like, Constantine demon slayer guy from New Jersey, you know? Well, he's less scared going forward. Yeah. Like even in even in the first movie, he didn't show a lot of fear, but there were moments that petrified him. In the third one, he's become defiant now. And he's like, All right, you're paying me. I'll go in there. And he's even at some points warning the paranormal investigators uh, against what not to do. Um to, right. to provoke these demons so that film wound up a lot of fun and it was it was back to the success level of the first film so i mean i i have a problem with accepting the fact that the only attraction was me but hey i'll take it because i did try one more time further along in the series to take myself out of it which we'll get to but um that didn't work either so well so since then, I've embraced it. Um, in the fourth, is it okay to go on to the fourth? Yeah, yeah. The fourth is uh, what do we have? Um, the, the Mandela effect. Yep. I'm trying to remember the, uh, the I'll, I'll tell you how what how I cheated a little. You know, advertising is key in this and getting the word out. And uh, I knew a film was coming out called The Mandela Effect, and mm-hmm. that they would spend millions in promoting it. So if I already had a film out and people typed in The Mandela Effect they might find my film. But actually the way I came up with the idea was a friend of mine, Harry, says, have you ever heard of the Mandela effect? And I said, no. And he says, uh, well, you know how, um, what's his name, the comedian? I can't, I'm screwing this up. You know who I mean? He's the African-American comedian, Sinbad. Um, yeah. He said, you remember Sinbad was in that film where he played the genie? I said, yeah. yeah. He said, the film was never made. I said, what are you talking about? He says, Google it. The film was never made. People just believe it was made. And I was one of them. And he said, right. the reason it's called the Mandela effect 
is because there are people that believe they watched Nelson Mandela's funeral when he died in prison. Well, he didn't die in prison. He got out, he became the president of South Africa, and he just died a couple of years ago. But there are people that swear by it, and they talk about the Berenstein Bears over the Berenstein Bears. And so the Mandela effect is supposed to be alternate universes where these things have happened. And that's just something that's been out there for years. So I said, why don't I do Bad Men in shorter clips, but Tom experiences a different result each time he comes home. And so that's what happened. We had dolls involved in it. We had um, nothing involved in it. We had all kinds of stuff going on. I just threw any idea I could have uh, into this. And about three or four times you see Tom driving home. One time it's in the rain. Another time it's in broad daylight. Another time it's in the evening. And each time he has a different experience in the house. And that, I got to tell you, was a lot of fun to do. And again, I'm the only person in it. So it was a little, um, I work for cheap, so I could afford myself. And uh, it was easy to do because I only had to rely on my own schedule being available. So that was number four. And in number four, I had one scene where this clown mask, which is sitting over there on my shelf, he, um, the clown pops up in front of the camera. And it's a jump scare. And I said to my roommate, Holly, who we, who the fans have become, have come to know as the evil Miss Holly. She, um, I said to her, that clown doesn't belong. And she goes, no, that's great. You got to keep it in. Well, I'm glad I did because it got a lot of talk. And the fans all said how much it scared them. And that led to us making a fifth movie that we called The Crescent Moon Clown that focused on that clown. My yeah. second mistake in the series. Well, you still appear in the film, right? I, yeah, the last 15 minutes I appear, but what I was trying that to do wasn't was- wasn't enough for people. <laughs> I, I'm very sensitive to the, you know, the world situation. And also, whenever you have an African-American character in a horror movie, they seem to get killed in the first five minutes. So right. I was introducing an African-American female character who was tough as nails and she wasn't backing down from anything. Now, similar to the original storyline, she was home from college while her parents were away and she's home alone. And this clown is outside, inside, and she's dealing with it. And she, she doesn't get killed. She winds up, you know, winning in the end and at the end tom comes in as if he's gonna save the day when in reality she does and that film was again not as popular and let me explain my theory on that it has found its own audience also like steelmanville road did it's because the fan base i have which has grown so large they are fans of the character of Tom Riley. Mm-hmm. So with Tom Riley not being in a film, that's why it wasn't as popular because I wasn't able to capitalize on my fans from previous films that were just coming to see this character again. So it was good. I liked the film. It was fun. But again, it I was like, I like both aspects. I, li- I like Tom, but I also like this universe, you know, starting with the Mandela effect really is like this universe just keeps getting more and more expansive, more things are added in. Uh, we'll talk about the, uh, when Tom works as a rideshare driver, how many more elements get added in, but like these things just keep compounding on top of each other. At some point, Tom is yelling for help from Ben from the first movie, you know, and the way that just, I think, all of them, I like the universe that's built because it's just stacked on top of it. so much stuff that so much more keeps coming in. It's always a surprise what will get added next time. You know what I mean? Well, half the time when I'm writing a movie, if I'm the only person in it, well, I would say all the time, if I'm the only person in it, there's not a script, there's notes. When I've had a cast, I have scripts, but I'll write notes and I'll, I'll act out those particular scenes to join them all together to make a film. And uh, 
a lot of times I'll just write something down like, oh, you got those old dolls in the toy box that are downstairs from when your sisters were kids. Let's use them. Let's throw whatever you can into this. And that's how they came together. And it actually, when we got to the fifth film, which was The Way In, Mm-hmm. You see me struggling here. I got to like recall all these things. Yeah, um, I got them written down here. Don't worry. The fifth <laughs> film, so many. The Way In, the ideal. At that point, I got to the point where I was saying, why does he, in each film, it seems like the evil is wiped out of the house, yet it keeps coming back. So Tom finds a portal in the basement, which is a door that's behind the wood stove. And... I chose the wood stove because that's actually where in the first film I was drugged towards. And so there's a door. My buddy Mike took in old pieces of wood from a shed near the shore and built me that door. And Tom finds out that there's a portal to another world behind the wood stove. And that's how the evil's getting in the house. Now, I actually, you know, sometimes making these movies, even though they've done well, To fund them, I've done some unique things. For instance, um, the way in, you hear me refer to a character, Emily May. Like Mm -hmm. when I first walk up to the front door, I'm sorry, that's making a lot of noise, isn't it? Um, I'm walking up to the front door and the phone rings and I answer it and I say, yes, Mrs. May, I'm here. Well, Tom has lost the house once again and it's been purchased by a new owner who's Emily May. And she has hired me to go in the house to clear out the evil again. And so it's money. So Tom's going to do it. He accepts the money and he goes. Um, Emily May was actually a fan of Bad Ben who paid for me to say her name in the film. So that's how I came up with some unique ideas where I'd have people like uh, their picture may wind up in the film or something and they pay a fee to surprise a family member or something and just so you know hopping ahead here pandemic none of those people paid me to be in the film it was just during the middle of the pandemic and I got them all but so in in the way in I'm going about battling all these demons and there were some pretty good jump scares in that film and in the end when I get to the wood stove and I'm reading from a book and I'm commanding that these demons leave one of the scenes was supposed to be a demon which was ashes was supposed to hit me so i have my uh buddy mike and he's got a bucket of ashes from the wood stove and i say listen mike you gotta hit me right in the face or it's not going to be funny oh i don't want to do that i said mike it's not going to be funny if you don't actually hit me in the face so We start rolling and what's he do? He hits me like in the knees with the ashes. So do you know how hard it is to clean up ash when it goes everywhere? So we had to clean it all up and do that scene again. And that time he (laughs) he got me. And in the end, I send everything out the house and I find out that Mrs. May was watching me on one of the in-house cameras. And this is a little bit of a spoiler, but when I find that out, I don't take it too well. Let's put it that way. So yeah. <laughs> I unsolve her problem. And that one has, yeah, that one has some of, I think, some of the most interesting and fun effects to uh, the practical and the visual ones, like the door behind the wood stove. Um, but also the stuff like Tom interrogating one doll as another one <laughs> rides in on a remote control car, which he is just angry about that's you know his response is like what the hell and i just love stuff i love both the practical effects and the jump scares are so it's such a cross between like these characters now and then like also just the fact there's a jump scare that works so well and it you know i think it, a lot of the parts of that movie yeah, i really loved and i love the recurring theme of tom looking into the camera say like, i really need the money you know, right. Well, they <laughs> refer to me as a curmudgeon. Is that the proper pronunciation? A curmudgeon, yeah. People say he's your weird uncle, and that's not my favorite uh, comparison, but I get I get a lot of them. And 
Yeah, that the the remote control car with the doll on it was driven by the evil Miss Holly from the other room. And the favorite jump scare in that movie is when Tom's sitting at the kitchen table reading out these demon names and something comes jumping down the hallway at him. Which yeah, yeah. thank God for for Adobe because I was able that's actually me jumping and me sitting at the table. And you're able to splice them together good. So it looks good. So after that, what uh, what do we have? Um, we have the haunted highway. Haunted highway, yeah. Which sort the, of away from the house, but not quite. <laughs> well, we the common theme here is that I, well, I've become a driver of a fictitious rideshare service called Drop You Off. Um, by the way, don't go try and get the domain name. I already have it. Uh, but Tom's picking up, getting calls from people, and they're all rude to him. They're, when he picks them up, they're like, take me to, the first one says, take me to Steelmanville Road. And they tell me the mm. address, and I say, I know that house. And they're kind of, they don't care that I know the house, but they're like, okay, take me there. And then I have a second person, a third person, a fourth person has me taking them there. And that's where I got to introduce uh, Lionel, the... Um, vampire who the nice. fans referred to as the hot vampire because that's really his name lionel and people want to see more of him because uh, he's a good looking guy lionel and he was the vampire that was inviting these people to the house to basically you know do what vampires do and i didn't figure this out until i go back there one time and i have an encounter i must overcome with him and uh also one of my favorite scenes in that is when Mitch has me pick him up and he's taken, has me taking him to meet a girl in the woods mm -hmm. that he plans on having a, a little sexual encounter with. And so I, I said, you want me to drop you off here? And he's really rude to me. And he's like, yeah. So I drop him off and then I'm eating, uh, you know, I'm somewhere in a parking lot eating McDonald's and I get another request for a pickup and it's a young lady at the same exact spot where I drop Mitch off and she's carrying a bag with her and in the bag, it turns out I take her to, she wants to get something to drink. When she goes in, I hear a noise and I open the bag and I discover it's, it's Mitch's decapitated head and he's talking to me. And so anyway, we take off and, that one, uh, that one was a blast because I was in so many different places I was able to go and driving around. But a little fun fact about that. Oh, I forgot. Here's the most important part of that. One of the fans that discovered these movies along the way was his name is Josh Robert Thompson. And if anybody used to watch the Late Late Show with Craig Ferguson, there was a character called Jeff the Talking Robot. And Craig was the voice of that robot. I'm not Craig. Josh was the voice of that robot, hmm. um, Jeff. And he also does this Morgan Freeman impersonation. Yeah. There's even a scene of Morgan Freeman on the Craig Ferguson show saying he sounds more like me than I do. So when Tom, I kind of like as a kid, I love Knight Rider. And there's a scene where uh, Tom is, he's just gotten his car back because his car was repossessed. He right. gets his car back to start this rideshare business and he's setting it up. He's programming it because there's a voice in the car. And the first voice is Jeff Goldblum. The, and he says, no, nah, I don't like that. And he, second yeah. voice is Kevin Spacey. And that was about the time Kevin Spacey was coming out about his issues. I yeah, said, nah, that's kind of creepy. And the third voice was Morgan Freeman. So we kept that voice throughout the entire film. Now, a little Easter egg for anybody that's real sharp. When I'm in the driveway setting that up, it's the same driveway I use later when I go to that house and the clown's there and it's chasing me and all that. And uh, somebody with a sharp eye would be able to tell it's the same driveway, but Nobody ever has so far, but they might now try to write me and say, hey, that's the same driveway. And I'd say, you heard that on James Carey's podcast. 
Well, now you know. But uh, two things. Yeah, I love the head in the bag scene. Tom's reaction, again, just, oh, take me back to my body. All right, you know. <laughs> and um, the voice, the car voice, and, you know, in the, you know, to spoil a little bit, it, the car does end up working in a sort of semi night rider capacity for Tom at the end there. And uh, yeah, I just, the addition of all these, again, a vampire and the stuff in the woods, like these different elements coming into it again, but the house still being there. Um, I just think that it's another, it's another good one. And, and I like seeing, again, Tom's evolution too, where now he's gone to living at a campground, you know, well, the thing, he, and he's won his van back from the sheriff, right? And Tom is like, the more we abuse Tom, the more the fans love it. Because I am like, I encounter myself from two alternate universes. And it turns out that the Tom that I encounter in these two different universes have a much better life than I have. Right. So you feel, you're like poor Tom along the way. And we also, in, in between there, that film and some previous ones, I slipped in a short animation I did. And it there was a character called the Witch Bitch. So we brought her to life at the end of this film. And that's actually my roommate, the evil Miss Holly. She mm -hmm. uh, dressed up as Lucinda and she was the last character you see in the film. But that film was a lot of fun to do. Um, it was shot again, like the campground was the woods behind the house and all. Yeah. And people got a lot of enjoyment out of that so i always another, have enjoyment doing them another fun element i'll say uh, and I, you brought up the clown in the driveway scene is i love how much of the, the supernatural responds to just physical violence in this universe you know well, how much can be <laughs> how much can be achieved through just force you know right and uh it doesn't always work for him um, no not always but for some reason, half the time it does. Like he ties the dolls up in the way in, and they, for some reason, they have submitted to Tom, you know. And the clown, you know, tops the head off with the van door. Yeah, it's just the mixture of my favorite part. And supernatural. My favorite part of that, um, the way in with the head and the door, was um, Morgan Freeman's voice would say door ajar mm -hmm. every time the doors open. Mm -hmm. So when the clowns chased me and I'm slamming its head in the door, it keeps saying door ajar, door ajar, door ajar until the head comes off the clown. Yeah. But yeah. That, the was a great a, that was a lot of fun to do the way in. And up until this, that point of the way in, I had been, and one of the things people marveled at in this series was how I was able to turn out two films every year uh, because the first one was October, second one was May, then October, then May, then October. And then what happened is this little thing called COVID and uh, last spring when I would have been turning out another one, I couldn't, cause let's face it, it's scary now, but it was terrifying then. We right. had no idea how it could be caught or transmitted and I didn't want to bring anybody yeah. into my home or, or, or give anybody anything. So that's when the idea came up, came to me because of the film called um, Unfollowed. I think it was called. It was oh, like, yeah, yeah, I've seen that one. Yeah. They're having a Skype chat and mm -hmm. one by stuff's happening. Very well done. And I said, you know, what if, what if Tom Riley had a Zoom chat with people that were calling into him for advice on, you know, do they have something paranormal? Are they dealing with something that has to do with the virus? And so I had 35 of my friends, I'm, they're friends now, but fans of the film that shot their own segments, um, be it on in front of a webcam or using their, their phones, because let's face it, phones now, the cameras are so good in an iPhone and in the Android phones, the cameras tend to be so good, you actually could shoot a film on your phone and people yeah. have done it. But as we're going along throughout this, um, I'm getting all these submissions from fans and there were some of them that I watched that I was even creeped out by. 
and they were so creative in what they oh, did. Wow. We, we managed to put together a whole film from just segments of, of our fans that shot their own segments. And then I connected them together as if I'm sitting in the basement, oh, which wow. I was, I was sitting right there and I filmed Okay, it. so those are all concepts created by the actors in the video. That's cool. Wow. You know, I gotta say, it's the only, first off, it's the only Zoom call movie I have watched from the <laughs> pandemic. I feel that's, honored. Yeah. <laughs> but but um, they, no, yeah. they were, they wrote their own that's scenes. Great. And they took, I mean, some of them took their, they got their creativity from films they had seen, horror. Some of them did like some Bad Ben stuff and they put it together. And I was impressed. The only thing that was a little challenging was, they were relying on me to edit them. So like one in mm -hmm. particular individual gave me 35 takes of her scene. And uh, it turned out, it worked out in the end, but we got to put it all together. And I'm still in regular contact with them. They were awesome. But yeah, so that was the only film we put out in uh, 2020. That was an interesting one too, because it, it is a full embrace of uh, Tom as this, paranormal investigator slash advice giver but, but he's still same, an asshole yeah that's what i was just gonna say at the same time i love it he'll just don't go out there you know somebody somebody dies and it's like well signals cut off and I told you next one you know it's just on with he just <laughs> hit the button and yeah. went on and it, it's funny he'll, you'll see him be completely compassionate in one moment and then the call ends and it's like oh i told you you blew it idiot you know and i love that i love the way the character kind of transitioned between all those emotions and then he's jumping over the chair at some points and stuff like all the emotions in there like i said before we recorded it was like watching a horror anthology with tom which is you know really fun it, it worked out as a fun concept and it's cool to know that everybody kind of put their own bit together well you yeah. know there's um, a there's not everybody knows this but you actually have to watch the credits in that because there's like a you know a jump in the credits something mm -hmm. happens after the credits are playing and not every you know people have a habit they'll shut um film off when the credits start rolling and there might be something afterwards well in this film there was back. and yeah. it's in it's important that that be seen um, before the next film, which I'm working on right now. Yeah, it was, yeah, that was my next question. Um, uh, you know, as I said, th this growing universe, the the growing characters, and now you know the fan involvement and everything. Um, what you were on a cartoon for a second too? Is that still an ongoing project, or is was that the, car short the cartoon the animations will be and the animation okay. was extremely popular the problem is i can put together a 90 minute film in the same amount of time it takes me to do a 15 minute animation because it's yeah. very involved i'm the only person doing it and i i'm working on we're working on um actually outsourcing some of that so that the animations can be done by people that do animation for a living and uh but that was so much fun i mean i that was so vulgar it made it made south park look like a church cartoon <laughs> yeah i watched a little bit of it i like that like i said like i said this universe it's so expansive that you just kind of seek out all of it because it's like well what the hell well, is it you know what is this and I'm sorry, if I'm being honest, it's somewhat humbling that people have embraced it to the level they have, uh, because I'm not an actor and I didn't start this. Uh, I mean, I started this just five years ago at my own right. house. And I kept saying, you know, I need to find different locations, but I have also come to the realization that one of the stars of this series is the house. At like yeah. the Amityville horror, you don't see that being shot at a cabin. It's they're all shot at the house in Amityville. So mm -hmm. the house has become a star and people have been accepting that my buffoon character keeps having the same experiences and different in the same house. Actually, one of the things people are going to see in the next film, uh, there's, I actually include the rescue pets we have. They make appearances in the film. And 
this film, what will set this apart from the others is that this happens in 90 continuous minutes. So from the time the film starts, it's 90 minutes straight through till the time the film ends. So it's not like something happens an hour later or the next day. It's when this starts, okay, say so it starts at time. Right. Yeah. If it starts at 9.30, it ends at 11. And it's a Thomas Jack Bauer. It's 24. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I, you know, uh, I know part of what inspired Bad Ben was you're from Jersey and the Jersey Devil legend. And do you have any other like horror or as you went on to make these comedies, did you have any comedy influences that really you liked and kind of went into your work or what made you decide to go the horror route initially? I, I never do like the yuck yuck comedy. I always do the dry deadpan comedy. Mm -hmm. But as far as the horror aspect goes, when I was a kid, my parents told me my great, 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 great uncle was the Jersey devil. Scared the hell out of me. Well, as I got older and started, you know, traveling about the area and meeting other people, I came to find out that almost every kid in the area's parents told them their uncle was the Jersey devil. And the reason for that was to get us to come in at night because we didn't want our uncle to come looking for us out there. So it is folklore that exists. And that is who Bad Ben turns out to be. Spoiler alert, too late. I already said it. But Years ago. Um, Here I am. Bad Ben was uh, the Jersey devil. The folklore is that this Sarah Leeds had had um, 12 children back in the 1800s. And every child she had was increasingly more painful to deliver. And after the 12th child, she said, the only reason, the only way I could get pregnant again, that God would have let this, would allow this to happen to me is if Satan himself were the father. Well, she gets pregnant a 13th time. And as the story goes, suddenly she's not pregnant. And the local ladies come around and they're like, where's the, oh, here comes the puppies, by the way, if you hear a little yeah. mayhem. Yeah. Um, along comes, uh, she had, the neighboring women come by and they're like, where's the baby? And so she pulls him in the room, shuts the door and she exposes her breast and there's claw marks there. She says, I gave birth to this horribly disfigured child, which stood up sprouted wings and flew out the window and comes back to feed at night so that's what the claw marks are from so that is the the story behind the legend of the jersey devil and i tied that into the whole theme uh, all right uh before i i won't take too much more of your time i guess but um let's talk a little about everyone's favorite corporate monolith amazon um I had two things about Amazon. First, you, you mentioned, I think, either earlier in this or before we started, uh, the, and I know this too, the payment system on Amazon switched at some point, correct? From the time of the original movie to now. I will preface this and end this statement on Amazon with the positive. The Amazon Video Direct, which became Prime Video Direct, offers an opportunity for independent filmmakers that right. is second to none. You can get up there. I mean, when you look at streaming channels, the big three, I would say, are Netflix, Hulu, and Amazon. And it's probably in the order yeah. of Netflix, Amazon. You know, anybody could decide which is bigger. But Amazon offered, similar to YouTube, you can upload your films and there are some rules you have to follow and it can yeah, be a little tough to get a too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, they also have Kindle video or Kindle yeah. direct where people can write books and mm -hmm. there's the puppies, by the way. <laughs> um, so Amazon started this in the spring of 2016 and they were paying 15 cents an hour streamed. And at right. first that seemed low, but with the number of minutes I was getting, I was doing pretty good. And uh, in the second year with the second film out, I was able to pay my mortgage, car payment, and health insurance. Mm 
from what Amazon, from what I was making in residuals from these films. And then after the first year and a half, um, Amazon 2018, they announced in January that the fee would be dropping from a flat 15 cents an hour to six cents an hour for the first 30 million minutes, mm -hmm. then 10 cents for the next, you know, 70 million minutes, and then 15 cents if you get over 100 million minutes. Well, the problem is also, I could hit 30 million minutes and get up to 10 cents. The problem is it, the clock resets at the anniversary date. The film was uploaded. So the next year you drop back to six cents. Still was doing okay. And then last year they came out and they changed it to four cents an hour streamed with a maximum possible of 12 cents an hour streamed. But they use something called a, a customer engagement ranking which if you can figure that out, Mr. James Carey, and you can let me know, I would appreciate what a customer engagement ranking is. They try to explain it, but they say that the experience the customer's having and uh, will judge whether you're paid four cents an hour or 12 cents an hour. Now there's a caveat. You could make as little as one cent an hour if they determine through this ambiguous system that it was not a high customer engagement ranking. Right. Well, the way I look at it is if your film is being streamed, like in February, my films were streamed 12 million minutes in a single month. That means it's popular amongst, these aren't people new finding it, there's some in right. there, but that's popular amongst the fans that have found it. So to say it's not engaging, it's just an unfair system and it is, uh, it's mind boggling. It's uh, Jeff Bezos does not have enough money. I understand. So that's why they had to cut this. But um, yeah, I think part of it is, you know, they're basing it on like customer reviews and stuff too, which is, well, here's bullshit, the other... to, is bullshit to me because this is such a wide platform with so much content for such an array of audiences. Somebody well, stumbles the... on something they don't like, you don't know, you know? I'll, uh, I'll speculate. What happened was there are movie studios that have hundreds upon hundreds of films sitting in vaults that Netflix doesn't want because they're dated and all. They're not getting picked up by TNT or USA or anything to play. So they say, hey, let us upload these films to Amazon. And that's right. what they did. And so now uh, a small indie producer like myself is fighting for an audience with a film that 20 years ago had a $5 million budget to market and people are aware of. So studios have done, I believe the entire original Roseanne series was introduced to Amazon via Prime Video Direct. And yeah. the other problem that's happened is when you have a question as a producer, you're right to, you know, to support because there is no phone number and they get back to you um, usually with a canned answer about read the terms and conditions. Have you ever read the terms and conditions of anything ever? I'd rather die. Right, <laughs> well, that's what happens. And like right now, um, there's eight films in the series. For some reason, uh, Crescent Moon Clown and Steelmanville Road are available for rent and to buy, but not on Prime. But they were that. available on Prime a month ago because mm -hmm. I made them all available on Prime. No explanation. I ask. I'm waiting to hear back. Same thing happens with um, like one of the movies, The Mandela Effect. It's available for Prime in the United States, but not the United Kingdom. Zero explanation on why. And you can't get an answer. So it's really gotten frustrating, frustrating. But fortunately, the fans have other avenues to see it. And shortly, they're going to have even other avenues to see the films because a distributor called Breaking Glass Pictures and oh, yeah, yeah. found me. And um, the Philadelphia Inquirer wrote an article on me. And this companies in Philadelphia, they found me, they've reached out and they're taking over distribution, which will 
take this series um, international. So it's like right now, Amazon, this isn't available in Canada. We can only upload our films for viewing in the United States and the United Kingdom. And it'll become available in Canada, Australia, all over, all English speaking territories. And if they decide to have uh, subtitles done in foreign languages, it can go even more locations, nice. but also other channels. It's, they're looking at Peacock, at Tubi, at, at different locations. Yeah, there are a lot. Once you have something like that, there's a lot of places to go. So that's good to hear. And it's good to hear that there'll be more too. And, uh, you know, uh, you have that going on with Amazon. And yeah, I read the Inquirer article that was basically the most information I could find on you for right now, besides your site. Um, I guess this will be the most information you can find on you now, which I, I'm glad to be a part of. I'm glad you came here. So I want to ask you one last question that I know people will love. And that is another Amazon question, which is you had a feud with Amazon. You were prevented from I, reviewing. I know exactly what you're years. talking about. No, I'm still, I, that was wrong in the article. I've been banned from reviewing for life on Amazon. And this happened because, you know, when you buy something from Amazon, they always send you a little email to right. review it. So I had a, you know, I was used to reviewing stuff and I wasn't one of these people. If something was terrible, I wanted to destroy somebody by right. reviewing it that way. But if I All liked right, something, time, yeah. I would review it. Uh, there were occasions if I bought a product and it was junk, I would say, you know, this thing really is a piece of junk. But when it came to, as you as a reviewer, as a consumer, you can really say anything in your reviews. Mm -hmm. But if you're the seller, you can't respond by just saying, screw you, you can't do it. So when the film Bad Ben started getting reviews, my first five reviews were five stars. This is great. This is a treasure of found footage we found and blah, blah, blah. And a long came, and I was loving it. Then came the sixth review. And it was one star. And this lady chewed me out in this review. This is why people hire casts and crews. This looks terrible. This one guy walking around half the time in his underwear. He's, he's terrible. This film is terrible and all. So I was heartbroken. Now, Amazon, which this is something your, your viewers or listeners might want to be aware of, you... Um, if you have a wish list or you've made mm -hmm. previous purchases, people can go look at what you've previously purchased unless you block it. Right. So right. they would go, um, I went and looked at her previous purchases. And one of her previous purchases, a recent previous purchase happened to be wart cream. So, and she, incidentally, she rated it highly, higher than my film. And- <laughs> So I respond to her comment about this movie was terrible. It's just one person, no crew. This is why uh, she was horrible to me, a horrible person. So I respond to her comment and I say, I'm sorry I disappointed you and good luck with your warts. So she then replies to me, I ha I'll have you know, I have a great dermatologist and my warts are fine. So what did I do? I went back and I removed my comment. So now in the thread, what you see is this movie's horrible. This guy shouldn't be in by himself. He should hire a crew. It's terrible. And I have a great dermatologist and my warts are fine. So I made her look like an idiot and it didn't sit well. So anyway, I, uh, I got my first warning but they didn't tell me what I did wrong. I had a really, really pry to eventually get an answer to that. The second time happened a couple months later when somebody said, the only way this film can be getting these five stars reviews is if the producers, friends and family are doing it themselves. Well, I don't have that many friends and family. And also you can look and see certified purchase and all. Yeah, yeah. These weren't my friends and family. These were people that either liked it or didn't like it. 
So I responded to her. I said, well, if you're saying all these people are, there's something wrong with them because they're rating this film five stars, maybe the problem's not them. Maybe the problem's you. Well, that got me banned for life. There is no, there is no pleading, throwing yourself on the mercy of the court. I can, to this day, if I buy um, toothpaste from Amazon and somebody writes, how'd you like your toothpaste? If I go to comment, it says you're banned according to community guidelines. Well, you're an early martyr. That's and right. I encourage I anybody who listens to my show to take this war to the Amazon comment section and rate all of the Bad Ben movies five stars and find that lady with the warts. But <laughs> you got to go back to 2016, the first six comments. Man, people are online, dude, and they'll do it. <laughs> people online do these things. But yeah, I just want to, this has all been great. I've had a great time talking to you, and I, I love these movies. I, I want to recommend again to my listeners and my viewers. Go watch them. Most of them are on Prime. And honestly, the ones that are on Prime, you can rent standard definition for like a buck. Go and rent them. If you end up, if you like my suggestion, rent the other ones too, because it's worth it, in my opinion. So yeah, I'm greatly appreciative of this. Good time. You're an awesome dude, man. I love these movies. So thank you. I'm excited to hear there's another one, um, Nigel. And, and I, I don't know. I would love to talk to you again when another one comes out, maybe. You're welcome to. Um, it'll actually be done probably sometime in June. But now, uh, because I've introduced this distributor, mm -hmm. their actual release will, um, it'll be well known. And it'll be known through my channels. And I'll let you know. But I'll come back on then. We'll great. talk about it. Yeah, great. I'm excited for it. And I'm definitely excited to talk to you again. Thanks. Well, thanks for asking me on.